I'm Jared, and I get to continue part two, the second episode of our series on Better 2019. Last week, Ann launched with a great talk on uh, our relationship with God. If you didn't hear it, please listen to the podcast. I'm going to talk about gathering, and then the next two weeks, uh, um, group and, uh, and giving. So uh, let's dive into game. Hey, I want you to think back with me. Remember nursery rhymes? Remember learning some of those? I think that they are uh, basically meant for children, and they are weird and super confusing. Yeah. Uh, you remember them. Uh, this is supposed to be told to kids. Uh, Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater, had a wife and couldn't keep her, put her in a pumpkin shell, and there he kept her very well. You know what the next line is? And he got caught and thrown in jail for the rest of his life. Hey, man, that is not cool. You cannot do that. That's just flat out weird. Uh, you know this one for sure. Uh, Rockabye baby. This is the one you put the kids or grandkids to bed with. Uh-huh, really? In the treetop, when the wind blows, the cradle will. When the bow breaks, the cradle will. Out will come. Baby cradle and all. Yeah, that's what you put the kid to sleep with. Yeah, the kid's supposed to say, thank you, parents, for comforting me tonight. You know, sweet dreams to me. I'm going to bed and falling out of the cradle. I mean, really, they're just weird. I heard a nursery rhyme at church. I think it qualifies as well. It carries some truth, but all kinds of baggage. It even comes with motion. Some of you know it. Here's the church house. Here's the steeple. Open up the door and see all the people. By the way, I recommend this. If you're concerned about the finger dexterity, you can check it out here with a little wiggly people thing. Yeah. I think that that miscommunicates what church is all about. I like the people part of it, but the idea that church is a sacred place that we come to for sacred experience is pretty limited, if not flat out flawed. Church is where people who've decided to be followers of Christ and to grow in love with God and others gather together to be encouraged together. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, virtual church? Well, maybe that will work. Uh, we're not quite there yet. We're still working on the Evergreen app, I want you to know. So come for a few more weeks as well. Here's the big idea today. Your faith is an individual decision. Your spiritual growth requires a community habit. In the first half of this talk, I want to talk about the why of church. And then in the second half, I'd like to introduce you to some cutting-edge tools that are helpful in habit formation that we can apply to this idea of gathering. Some uh, tools informed by current neuroscience that uh, help us understand how we can develop good habits. But let's jump right into the why of church. And I think my favorite passage about this comes in Hebrews chapter 10. Notice it with me. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up the meeting of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, this compound sentence, I want to unpack it in four ideas. It is so dense with information, but it's, not, uh, but it's simple in terms of its idea. So let's take a quick look. There's a goal that's clearly stated. Our goal is to grow in, in love for God and others and to grow in good deeds. 
So if you haven't bothered with New Year's resolutions for this year, uh, we've made it really easy for you. These are the cliff notes for you. Yeah, spot on. This is a great goal for this year. Grow in love for God and others and grow in good deeds. That's what gathering in community is all about. Number two, here's the process. Well, show up regularly with other like-minded people and encourage each other. By the way, here at Evergreen, we intend to be an encouraging environment. That's why when we evaluate our gathering times, we evaluate around three criteria. We evaluate around whether or not there's faith, hope, and love. Did people end up trusting God more when they left than when they came? Did people end up having an expectation of a brighter future than they did when they came? And did people leave feeling more loved than when they came and more enabled and motivated to love others as they leave? Faith, hope, and love, that's an encouraging environment. Some churches choose to have a different kind of culture. Well, I'm not making a judgment. They may be the right ones, but some churches that you're aware of are more cranky than we are. And there's lots of rules and prescriptions and negative motivations and you should and you ought and those kinds of things. And we've just chosen to take a different approach. And we think that it answers to this idea that the process is to show up together for mutual encouragement. Now, embedded, there's also a danger that can keep us from being successful. And the danger is that we work hard on a bad habit of giving up on meeting. And I just told you that we're not a cranky church, but I'm going to violate that right away for 30 seconds. Are you ready? Yeah. So some of my uh, boomer uh, friends and some Gen X empty nesters have kind of given up on the church thing. And it happened in a transition of life where they no longer had kids at home and the responsibilities there. And so much of transition happens then. And it wasn't that they woke up one day and said, I'm just, I'm not going to regularly gather anymore. It's that they woke up and said, we have all kinds of discretionary time and a little bit of discretionary money that we haven't had before, and let's go do some other things. That's absolutely great. But in the process, they actually find themselves by default drifting into a whole new habit pattern. And the new habit pattern is anti-gathering instead of periodic and regular gathering. Now, I'm an equal opportunity offender, so since I called out two generations, I'm going to include millennials as well. If you read some millennial blogs, you'll discover that there are some folks that are really making a case for a church-less Christianity. And they tell the personal story of how they have uh, enjoyed a, a new way of approaching spirituality uh, after leaving uh, organized church and that they have found in their own personal spirituality and development a degree of satisfaction and fulfillment that they didn't have when they were a part of church. I want to suggest to you that if you follow the life and teachings of Jesus, that you'll notice that he did not come to suggest a church-less Christianity. In fact, he talked about being a part of community. It is a relational experience together. Uh, there's no verse that says Jesus showed up one day and he said, I have a really cool personal spirituality for you to do and you can do it all by yourself. But he was all about community with God and community with one another. Well, I promised that I would not be cranky long. And so I'm done with that now. Might have gotten it out of my system for the whole year. Here we go. So what we've discovered is our decision to follow Jesus is deeply personal I must decide for myself, and you must decide for yourself. But our decision to grow in faith is a deeply communal experience. 
And so I want to ask this question, how do we engage in church? And I want to suggest that there's four ways of thinking about how we might engage in this community thing. The first one is the casual observer. And by the way, if you're a guest with us today, you're probably a casual observer. And I think you're making a wise decision to be a casual observer. You really want to check a group out for two or three times to figure out if they're weird. I think it makes a lot of sense before joining a new group that you want to make sure that it's a safe and reliable place that's going in the direction that you want to go. The difficulty is that some Christ followers are still casual observers after two years or 20 years. And it's not that God loves them less. It's just that they haven't grown much. Because casual observers that make that their professional status end up being evaluators of others, but not participants within. And so we want to be something more than the casual observer. That will only lead toward frustration. And from time to time, when I talk to people who are frustrated in their lack of spiritual development, uh, they discover that one of the contributing factors is that they've chosen to be a professional casual observer. And that will only lead to a lack of growth and therefore frustration. So a second level, a second way that we might connect would be a church member. And I think that's a good thing. We offer membership here. We think it makes sense for every team to know who's on the roster. And if you'd like to be uh, recognized as a church member in that way, there's little half-sheet applications out at Info Central. You can complete one of those. As is accepted, you'll be a member. And, but some people kind of probably overemphasize the benefits or the values of that. And they say, I'm a member of this organization, which is kind of like me saying I'm a member of AAA and Costco. <laughs> Neither of those is intended to be particularly transformational. Yeah, helpful, but not transformational. Unless, of course, I go to Costco too many times and eat all of the free stuff. That may be transformational in a not helpful way. Yeah, a church membership. But for most of us, that wouldn't be as fulfilling as we want. We really aspire to be a part of something that inspires us and, and causes us to feel like we're a part of a greater purpose in life. Let's call that inspired follower. And, and we're inspired to live for Jesus. We're saying, I, I really want what I read in the Bible to be true in my life. I want to be experiencing this grace and forgiveness and joy and this peace. And I want to be an agent of that for others. And, and, and I want to help people as they're moving forward as well. I want to experience life that's beyond the mundane. I want to know Jesus. And I want to know that I'm living for something bigger and grander and longer than myself. And it's great to be inspired. I recommend it highly. It's a wonderful place to be. And don't we feel good when we're inspired? But isn't it always also true that expiration? I keep wanting to go there. You're not dead. You are not, not dead. Inspired. Isn't it true that inspiration ebbs and flows? It wanes. So what happens when I don't feel inspired regarding community? Well, that brings us to the fourth possibility. I like this one. Let's call it, let's call it the trusted partners. In the first chapter of Philippians, Paul writes about this. Notice these words with me. I thank God every time I remember you. All my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion 
until the day of Christ Jesus. It's a great promise, isn't it, at the end? Paul says, God started his work in you and he's gonna finish it. He started working in your life to restore you back to the likeness of Christ and he's gonna get the job done sooner or later. Now, why can Paul speak about such confidence about the Philippian spiritual growth? Notice the key word that's right in the middle of that passage. It's the word partnership. His confidence is because of their connecting together with God. Now, he is not saying, go to church and you'll be saved. He's not saying, go to church and you'll stay saved. He's not saying, your salvation is based upon your community partnership. He's not saying that at all. That is by grace, folks. You will bring nothing to the salvation table other than receiving that gift. But what he is saying is, I happen to have a particular confidence that you are growing in Jesus. And that confidence is based upon my experience that you are regularly partnering together in the gospel. The partnership is the big deal of spiritual growth and development. Now, it's easy for me to make an assumption about you today. My guess is, because you're here, that you want to grow as a human being, that you want to become the best version of yourself that you can be. And if you're a Christ follower, that best version of yourself is the created person that God uniquely designed you to be as you grow into Christ-likeness and image. So the question is not one of motivated to grow. The question most of us have is, how do I get from here to there? What does it look like? Because we've all experienced, if you want the goal realized, if you want the dream accomplished, that it's going to take something. And that something is called consistency. It really is day after day, step after step, consistent after consistent, faithful after faithful. Don't give up. Don't give up on that marriage. Don't give up on that kid or grandkid or niece or nephew. Don't give up on church. As much as it's messed with you in the past and as broken, as messy as it is today, the paradox is, it's only in the broken, messy community of humans that I'm going to end up being healed and have my own life clarified and straightened out. Don't give up. Be persistent. Faithfully press in. So let's read our scripture today once again. And I read it the first time. I'm going to invite you to read it out loud boldly with me together. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this church thing has a whole lot to do with showing up with other Jesus followers at some place regularly to encourage and to help each other. Take a deep breath. That was halftime. Here we go, second half. I promised that we'd make this actionable, so here we go. How do we create good habits? 
I'm going to give you some ideas, and you can apply these to our immediate topic today, which is gathering. So as I'm talking, you'll be thinking about how you would like to improve and enlarge on your habit of regular gathering in community. Here at Evergreen, that we refer to that as our Sunday morning time. So what are you you're thinking about the habit there? We're also in this series talking about the, the Evergreen way, the habits of experience that we have discovered don't make us grow more, but put us in an environment that significantly increases the likelihood that we're going to be growing forward. And we call those God, gather, group, and give. Last week, God talked about the one-on-one with God part. And imagine this beautiful staging here that Jason provided for us, that down on the vertical, uh, the vertical line axis here, in those four boxes, there's God, gather, group, go. So today, we're just kind of scooting across the second line there horizontally, and there's 10 uh, boxes there that you could check over time and kind of think about it as a calendar. You can apply it to God, Gather, Group, Go. You can apply it to any other habit that you're choosing to develop in this year. So let's learn some things about that. How do we develop good habits? James Clear, in his brand new book called Atomic Habits, uh, gives some helpful advice from current studies on the brain and from motivational psychology. He identifies two critical ideas I had never put these together before. I find it profound. The ideas of systems and goals. And I like to have the bottom line of things. And so some of you are familiar with Cliff Notes. Well, this is the Jared summary of the Cliff Notes of the book right here. I put it in one sentence for you. Here we go. Systems over goals. Use goals. That's your desired result to set our direction but prioritize our day-to-day systems. That's the process that leads to the desired result over the end result. Paraphrase. Have a goal, but if you're going to realize it, you're going to have to focus on what you do each day to get from here to there. So let's talk about how that might work. Most of us want to cultivate better habits, right? The problem is that not all of us want to do the hard work of actually making those habits a reality. Sometimes we might kind of wish that we could just magically wake up and we find ourselves uh, working out after getting up earlier and we have, we have a healthy breakfast. And, and then we say, you know, I'm going to sit down for a couple of hours and work on that creative project that I've been putting off for a few months. And you know, while I'm doing that, you know, my desire to smoke or to lie or to complain or whatever it is, that's just going to mysteriously disappear too. And by the way, at the end of this year, I'll discover that I will have been at Evergreen 45 out of 52 Sundays. Yeah, it's like magic. The reality, that's never happened to anybody. It just doesn't, yeah. So what is it that helps us move forward? You know, I think that humans have been the same for an awful long time, and maybe this is what inspired a famous quote uh, by Epictetus uh, 2,000 years ago when he said, How long are you going to wait before you demand the best for yourself? Some of you are familiar with Jim Rome. He summarized this in kind of a popularized form and says, you are the average of the five friends you spend the most time with. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. 
Anne and I read uh, Marie Kondo's book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Yeah, it came out a couple of years ago. And, uh, and so it's really been, it was fun for us a couple of weeks ago to just binge it when it came out, the series on Netflix called Tidying Up. And, and you know, it's, it's, she's, really, uh, she's really kind of nasty. She's this tiny, sweet person who comes in and smiles and just wrecks havoc in people's lives. Yeah. Now, they all have, all have this goal of wanting to tidy your home, right? And, and so she comes in, and, and it's, I'll tell you, it's, it's brutal. It is like a family intervention. It is anxiety-producing. But for your benefit, the viewer, within one hour at the end, they're going to leave with a, a beautiful, tidy home and a relieved owner of the home. And what it really tells us is that most of us know what we want, but most of us have discovered that we can't get it on our own. And it really underscores that to get what we really want, most of us need the help of another. That's what this community of encouragement is really all about. So I want to talk with you in this last part about some ways to develop uh, good habits and the seven steps that have been helpful for Anne and for me and maybe helpful for you. Uh, you might be wondering about, well, what habits should I you know, think about and choose? And maybe one or two of these items will be really helpful to you as, as you take your next steps forward. So let's dive into these seven tips. Number one, first of all, choose your habits. And if you haven't gotten around to a New Year's resolution and we're halfway through January and you're feeling a little awkward about that, let me give you some helpful tips. Uh, we're told from research that engaging in one of these eight items has significant leverage to the improvement of your life and experience. So here's some ideas for you. You can read well, but people on the podcast won't see this, so I'll simply read them quickly. Sleep eight or more hours each day. How many of you would say, yeah, I'd love for that to happen in my life? Yeah, yeah. Some of you had enough energy to actually put your hand up. I noticed that, yeah, yeah. So uh, go ahead while your hands are up and lift weights three times a week. Use both hands on that one, yeah. Go for a walk each day. Save at least, save at least 10% of your income. Read the Bible every day. Uh, part of the Bible, not the whole thing, yeah. Uh, yeah. Partner in your faith community. Yeah. Drink more water and less of everything else. Yeah. Apply that as needed. Um, put your phone in another room while you go work someplace. Yeah. Now, I mentioned James Clear. When he talks about atomic habits, he's describing that as a really small habit that can make an enormous difference in your life. He talks about how the British cycling team went from nearly worst in the world to best by simply focusing on 1% increase in each of their major areas. A 1% increase doesn't sound like very much, does it? But it makes a huge difference, and it, makes, it adds up in a big way. So, for example, I don't recommend to people that your process is, I'm going to read the Bible more. That's a non-starter. But you might say, this month I'm going to read the Bible one chapter a day, at least five days a week. That's a starter. We can start there. Let's take a look at the second one here. Make it simple. Over on the second side of your outline, you can follow along there. Now, there's a trade-off between your motivation for and the simplicity of a habit. If your motivation is high, you can do really hard things. 
If your motivation is low, you can only do small, simple things. And since motivation tends to come and go, it's really smart to go to the lowest common denominator. Make it small and simple, because then it won't require much motivation. Yeah. The second thing, or the third thing that's helpful, is, is to set your minimums. I love this. Once you've decided what habits you're going to track, quantify the amount of effort you'll have to take to be able to check that one off the box. For example, how many Sundays at Evergreen would you like to participate between now and Easter? There's 13 weeks between now and Easter. So you might want to say, I'd like to participate 10 of the next 13 weeks. I'm going to come next week and participate in 10. Now, that's a target that is specific and measurable and can be checked off across the boxes of your calendar of those appointments that you make with yourself to gather. You know, one of the easiest ways to change behavior is to simply measure it. Many studies have demonstrated that when people measure a behavior, immediately and significantly they increase that behavior. For example, studies with pedometers have indicated that when people start measuring their steps, they tend to get 27% more movement, even if they have no other plan about that other than just monitoring the steps that they're taking. So we want to be able to set our minimum. We want for it to be measurable. And I'm going to offer, as we're talking about gathering today, a challenge to kick off this year. I'm going to make a challenge to participate at Evergreen 10 Sundays between now and Easter. That's next week and nine Sundays following. 10 out of 13. Let's start the year right. 10 great weeks to create some momentum for the rest of the year. And you can create your own calendar and check off the boxes. Number four, ready for this one? You're going to like this. Get better friends. I mean, it says, (laughs) surround yourself with helpful people. It says it much nicer, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's the philosopher, Aguta, that said, Tell me who you spend time with, and I'll tell you who you are. Yeah. So if you want better habits, you might want to find some better people to hang out with. Most of my friends are fairly interested in maintaining good physical health. Most of them eat and drink moderately. Most of them have pretty good ethics. Most of my significant friendships are engaged in pretty healthy relationships. That's not to say that I don't regularly engage with lots of people who don't meet one or more of those categories, but the influencers in my life tend to inspire me toward those things. On Sundays, I choose to be with people who tend to show up at Evergreen. It really works well for me. And because of that, I am in an inspiring, encouraging environment. You want to grow forward with God and loving and serving others. And so when I'm with you, I'm encouraged to do that. And when I'm with you, I'm also encouraged not to get worse at that. Because then I would be outstanding in some ways that would feel awkward for me. So I'm encouraged to move forward in aspirational behavior, and I'm encouraged not to slip behind and develop bad habits where I may have had some better habits in place. 
surround yourself with helpful people. And I want to mention that if you are a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or uncle that bring younger, uh, that bring kids to church here, I want you to be thoughtful about their absolute dependency upon you to help them create this habit of connection. Absolutely dependent. So we encourage people generally to attend the same service across the three on Sunday morning so that you can generally be around the same community. But here's the, here's the power that happens for kids and e-kids. So Kim and her teams have organized your kids to have small group leaders. And theoretically, a young child at Evergreen can grow up with the same group of peers growing up into junior high and growing up with the same small group leader over the developmental stages of their experience. Is that continuity powerful or what? And only you can help those kids engage in that kind of participation in their fellowship life. Well, have some helpful people in your life. Number five, here we go. I like this one a lot. Establish your rules. Now, I'm not a really rule guy, but I like this idea of rules. Let me mention it to you. See, it's unrealistic to expect that you're going to be perfect. If you're a perfectionist, we should pray for you and cast it out. Yeah. <laughs> Life is too messy for perfectionists. It really is, isn't it? And when it comes to establishing goals and processes and practices to support those, none of us are going to be perfect. So here's the deal. Decide in advance when you get to break the rules. I love this thing. You know that life is going to interrupt. Sometimes you want to take a break. Sometimes you need to take a break. Sometimes you're too sick and you have to take a break. So what are you going to do on these occasions? And what are you going to put on the calendar instead of a big zero? Now, if you're doing group and you fail, you lose your medallions. Fortunately, in this case, you don't lose your medallions. You just have something else you're going to put on the calendar. So listen, if you're not going to be at Evergreen because you're going to be on vacation, enjoy the letter V, vacation. And listen, you might get sick, God forbid, but if you do, don't come make 800 other people sick. Yeah. Access the, uh, yeah, listen online, yeah. And let us know and we'll pray for you and put an S there for sick. Ann and I make our plans uh, 15 months in advance. And uh, so we know uh, when we're gonna be at Evergreen here in 2019. And we're not only so good that we know when we're gonna be on vacation, we know when we're gonna be off doing uh, continuing education, but we have also figured out when we're gonna be sick. And so we've already been able to put that on the calendar, yeah. When you develop your prophetic gifts to the degree that we have, you'll also know when you're sick. Uh, yeah. So the point is, go ahead and create the rules by which you evaluate your, quote, failures so that you can continue your streak of success. I like that. How about number six? This is so powerful. Design your environment. Our environment influences our behavior in huge ways. For example, if you have cookies on the counter and I come by, I will eat them. <laughs> if you leave the remote control on the middle of the living room on a low table, it's going to be picked up and the TV is going to go on. I understand. If you stay up late on Saturday night, you're going to want to sleep in on Sunday morning. If we open up the Sunday paper or 
click on to a news feed or turn on ESPN, we may not make it to church after all. This idea of environment is very powerful. When I walk into our bathroom dark and early in the morning, I nearly trip across some stuff, literally. I have to step over my shoes and workout clothes. Can you believe my shoes are that big? Yeah. If I want to skip our exercise habit, I have to literally pick them up and put them someplace else. And at my advanced stage, I've discovered that once I get down there, I need to ask if there's any other projects that need to be accomplished while I'm there. It's just easier to put the clothes on. It really is. Your environment is huge. You see, it makes your environment will make it less likely to take the easy way out if it's simpler to do the thing that helps you toward your goal. When Ann and I had two kids 19 months apart, we were simultaneously pastoring two churches in two different towns. And those churches were so different, we literally changed our clothes between one congregation and the other. So you can imagine that our house was crazy on Sunday mornings with an infant and a toddler. We get that. And we learned something about being successful on Sunday morning as a family. We had to start at least Saturday evening to get things set up for Sunday morning to work. One of our friends had a kiddo that just struggled every morning with what to wear. And so every morning it was a fight and it was a meltdown. It was ugly. And finally, the mom did just a magical thing with the environment. Now she sits down with kiddo once a week. They pick out seven outfits for the next seven days and put them in Ziploc bags. And now in the morning, there's no decisions, there's no fight, and there's no meltdown. Environment is powerful. Here's the formula. You create your environment, and your environment will create you. It's a powerful influence. It will nudge you in the right direction. Well, we've talked about six things. There's a seventh to put a wrap with it, and let's tidy it up here. Nod to Marie Kondo. It's about the ritual. Professional, professional dancer Twyla Tharp gets up early, dresses, catches a cab, and goes to the gym where she works out for several hours a day. Her workouts are difficult, arduous, strenuous. And you would think that it requires tremendous self-discipline to do that year after year. But she says, I'm one of the least self-disciplined people I know. She said, I've just had to make it very, very simple. She said, all I have to do each morning is just get in a cab. And everything flows from that. It's all about my ritual, she says. Anna and I use a ritual to help us work out. <laughs> we like to say we're only good for one decision about working out a day. And our decision is to walk three blocks to the studio. Trust me, that's the last decision we need. For the next 60 minutes, our coach will have 
made every other decision for us that morning. It's about the ritual. What's your Sunday morning ritual? Anna and I have a ritual. Uh, As you would probably suspect, we don't get up on Sunday morning and look at each other and say, do you really want to go to Evergreen today? (laughs) Now, you can say, well, I guess you shouldn't. I mean, really, you kind of have a distinct role. You know, it's important to show up. But let's kind of tease this out for a minute. We made a decision almost 10 years ago to have a ritual. If it's Sunday and we're in town, we'll be at Evergreen. That's, That's the decision. And the ritual is when we wake up, if we're in town, we go to Evergreen. You see how helpful that is? Now, that ritual is supported because we have a practice of being of service. We've made a commitment, and that helps us then show up because we know how we are to be of encouragement to others. We have a role to do that. 300 of you have discovered the magic of the same thing. You have chosen to have a commitment to a particular role of service. And if that role of service is on Sunday morning, then you know that your commitment to encourage others is specific and you need to be there to fulfill that in a very particular way. It's about the ritual, a commitment to serve. Well, Let's pull it together here. You have on your handout, you have on the screen, a review of those seven uh, steps toward creating a habit. I'm not going to review those with you this morning, but I just want to mention to you that your homework this week is to take a look at those and see how you can apply it to the goals that you're aspiring toward in 2019. I want to conclude before I give you the last three questions that I'll leave you to ponder with before we pray with this. Why do we gather? Why do we do this thing on Sunday mornings? Well, it's certainly not about rules. It's about growing relationships. It certainly isn't about gaining God's favor, but it's about growing in love and good deeds. It absolutely is not about impressing others but it's about encouraging others. According to our text today, everyone has a Sunday morning habit. Is your habit one of gathering? Let me leave you with these three questions. How will you grow in love and good deeds this year? And what habit of gathering will you support with a system? What's your process? And how will you measure and celebrate your successes? Let's pray. Lord, we laughed as we started this talk today with the the sketch of virtual church. And Lord, we laughed because we know that it's so easy to think about gathering as though it were all about us. Thank you for challenging us today to see that gathering really is about encouraging others. And when we do that, we find that we are growing spiritually as well. So we want to take a spiritual growth step right now. God, for some of us, we want to come home to you. And and our step today is to agree with you. I have sinned. I've gone my own way. I've made my own decisions. I've forged my own spiritual path. God, I come home to you today, and I receive your forgiveness Thank you for putting your very life, the life of the Holy Spirit in me 
making me a child of God and giving me now the ability and the strength and the vitality to be a Christ follower. Or today we invite the fresh fullness and baptism of your Holy Spirit to come in our lives in profound ways, to not only hear what you've called us to do, but to have the ability and the focus and the discipline to move forward in doing that. And God, may we always be a community of people that encourages one another as we're growing and loving you and others. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.